liberty of conscience. Last week, Tyler taught um, of the law of God, taught about Adam and the covenant of works, and we know what happened there. Then Moses, the Ten Commandments, that law, and then then you go to the then the Israelites were at Mount Sinai for many for quite a quite a long period of time, and you go to the end of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'll really learn even more about the ceremonial law and how God wanted to be treated because of His holiness, and how we had to, how the priest had to approach Him without dying. It's like Moses told Aaron in Leviticus, if um, you know, do not go to the veil of the temple without shedding the blood, otherwise you will die. So that gives you specific things to do. If you look at the last section of the law of God, uh, 19.7, and I'm backing up just a second to start it so we can kind of segue into the Christian liberty. It says, Neither are the aforementioned uses of the, uses of the law contrary to the grace of the gospel, but do sweetly comply with it. The Spirit of Christ subduing and enabling the will of man to do that freely and cheerfully, which the will of God revealed in the law requires to be done. So we learned last week we need to save. We know this, right? We need a savior not because of a problem we have with the law, because we're the kind of people that can't keep the law. <laughs> Except Blake, he can keep the law. <laughs> So now we're in Christian liberty and the liberty of conscience. Um, I always like to start with the definition of liberty, the state of not being in prison or enslaved. Right? You know, think of free or freedom. So I will read section one for us real quick, even though it's quite long. The liberty which Christ has purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, the curse of moral law, and their being delivered from the present evil world, bondage to Satan and the dominion of sin, from the evil afflictions, the sting of death, the victory of the grave, and everlasting damnation, as also in their free access to God and their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind all which were common also to believers under the law, but under the New Testament, the liberty, liberty of Christian is further enlarged in their freedom from the yoke of ceremonial law that we just talked about, to which the Jewish church was subjected, and in greater boldness of access to the throne of grace and in fuller communications of the free spirit of God than believers under the law did ordinarily partake of. That's a mouthful. It's a section of Christian liberty. Our Christian liberty was purchased for us by Jesus Christ. Our liberties are not frivolous freedoms because Christ suffered and died for them. Someone read uh, Galatians 3.13 for us, please. And someone be ready with Titus and then someone be ready with 1 Thessalonians. I have Titus. First Thessalonians. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, he 
think we can just see biblically that Christ purchased our Christian liberty, right? Whatever our liberties are, they are owed to Christ and thus enjoyed under his lordship. Romans 14, 5 through 9. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and was raised again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. Amen. In Christ, we are granted immunity to the full effects of sin. It says, as Van Dixhorn says, the evil of afflictions works for the good of those who love God, which is Romans 8.28, right? And all things, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to their purpose. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're now slaves of righteousness. Romans 6, 20 through 23. And everybody's saying, we're going to read all these scriptures. We need, really need to... It's very important to know that the confession of faith and all that we believe is based strictly on what God's Word says. Because of our Christian liberty, we can boldly state, O oh, death, where is your sting? 1 Corinthians 15, 54-57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, So when we think about before, Vic Storm says, as we've already seen in passing, the liberties are common to believers under the law, which we're talking about in the Old Testament. In the age of the gospel, our freedom has been immeasurably enlarged and burdens of this life are lightened. And the heavy yoke of ceremonial law is lifted from our shoulders. Tell me what you think when you see the heavy yoke of ceremonial law is lifted. How has it been lifted? Exactly. That's exactly right. 
there's a permanent priest, right? Like the high priest Jesus who has finished his work on earth and has passed through the heavens to continue his work on his Father's side. So as Blake said, we, don't, we no longer have to... Remember when Christ died, the veil was broken. There was torn. There was no longer need for blood to be shed because Christ, Christ in his life shed his blood for us. He was the lamb, the perfect lamb for eternity. And through that, he's now at the, he's now at the right hand of God our Father interceding for us, mediating for us. When you pray to your Father... We are, we're still sinners. Our, we're still, our prayers are even tainted with sin. But when it washes, the, the blood of Jesus Christ washes our sins and intercede, He intercedes for us when we pray to our Father. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians 3 and it's 13 and then 17 and then 18. Yeah, 17 then. Anybody have anything on the first on Christian liberty? Any points or comments? Those are all the liberties, right? Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Section two, God alone is the Lord of the conscience and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are in anything contrary to his word or beside it if matters of faith or worship so that to believe such doctrines or to, be, or, or to obey such commands out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience and the requiring of an implicit faith and an absolute blind obedience as to destroy the liberty of conscience and reason also. God alone is Lord over all. We all know that. And therefore, He's therefore is Lord over our conscience. He is the one lawgiver and judge. Someone read James 4.12, please.
assurance of heart and assurance of faith confirmed in God's holy word is the only source that can truly bond our conscience, giving us our liberty of conscience. Someone read Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. That's beautiful. <laughs> when you, I mean, we all agree, right? God's holy word is the only source that can truly bond our conscience, right? With God as our Lord, our lives are freed from the doctrines and commandments of men, especially those commands of that are against God's word or in addition to God's word. Someone read 1 Corinthians 7, 22 through 24. That reminds me of when you go back to um, you get into early Acts. You know, you have the ascension, then you have the Holy Spirit coming into you know comes during Pentecost, and then Peter and John and all the apostles, disciples, they're on fire. I mean, they're preaching and teaching and against the will of the Sanhedrin's. Right? They don't want them to do anything. Well, they keep on. They Peter and John goes and heals the lame beggar at the temple. And they tell him again, do not, you know, quit. And, but they let him go because he didn't do anything more than, or in that, they took that as he's taken care of this man and he healed him and he's good, so they let him go, let him go. Then they come together, the believers pray for boldness and they have everything in common. They're empowered with the Holy Spirit. The apostles continue to, continue to preach and teach. They get, um, arrested, remember, and the angel of the Lord comes and frees them from the prison. Then they go right back out and <laughs> go straight back and begin to teach again. And this is at the point where it says, And when they had brought them, talking about Peter and John, set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles Answered, we must obey God rather than men. Right? So they, they went against the commandments of men, knowing that they may die, which you know many of them did die by the end. But they did that because they were staying true to God's word, true to what they believed in the truth of Christ. We never forget that it is not simply for forgiveness, but we never forget that it is not simply for forgiveness, but for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
For that reason, we must not let ourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Someone read Galatians 5, 1, and then 6. So this is, when you think about, as Carol just read, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So what's Paul telling the Galatians there? He's going back, right? He's going back to the Old Testament and going back to the laws, and he's telling the Galatians, that's, old, that's the old news, that's not the new news of the gospel. The old news is circumcision or uncircumcision. What he's saying, uncircumcision, what he's saying is you have bound your conscience. You've taken away your liberty of conscience by thinking about it's got to either be circumcision or uncircumcision. Those days are gone. That's, that was from the law. What For in Christ Jesus, only faith working through love, right? That's the, that's the liberty of the conscience. Everybody have any questions? Our liberty rests in having the light of the gospel in our lives and being able to look at God's word and knowing that we can measure all other words by it. Romans eight thirty one through thirty nine, sorry. The great chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 8 is a great chapter. <laughs> when you sit there and you look at this again, at the, um, I think this is where you do it, yeah. Being able to look at God's word and knowing that we can measure all other words by it. So what the author's saying here is God's word is it. Learn God's word, ponder on God's word, read God's word. 
and learn all you want to know about God, Christ, how to live, how to do everything. And, and when you're using God's Word, and only God's Word, it's the only thing that can bind your conscience. But if you float away from the God's Word, your conscience begins to get bound by other things, bound by, bound by commandments of men or other thoughts. And it, you really go awry. You really go astray when that happens. So you really, really spend time and study God's Word. Like I say in our Wednesday night Bible study, the first the book you should be reading first in the morning shouldn't be Garden and Gun or National Wild Turkey Federation Turkey Gun. It should be this book right here. <laughs> You're not a man if you don't read those two books. Not a southern man anyway. I got to read them. Usually don't do it in the morning because a, a glass of bourbon really goes well with it. Yeah. A little story I was telling uh, Justin earlier about the binding of consciences. I was watching, you know, I always go and watch Sproul at times on YouTube, and he was talking, where I was looking for stuff on conscious, and he was saying that he had a um, church function, and, he, and it was like 20 people, and he was with a lady that was, that was teaching the women's Bible study, and they were working on different things. And they all, she said, let's all go to dinner tonight. So they all went to dinner. They got to the restaurant, and it was about 20 of them. They go and sit down at the table, and here comes this young waitress, and she's like, what can I get you to drink? Well, the lady that was in, kind of in charge of the meal, she said, uh, she said, oh, we don't drink. We're Christians, he said. Of course, Sproul was just, you know, just kind of, he said, I was just kind of blown away by it. And he said, because <clears throat> this young person or people within that 20-person group, I mean, the gospel is not eating and drinking, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is what we rest our lives on, right? We believe. So he's saying you probably bound the conscience of the waitress and half the people there just by saying that. He said, I really wanted to, he said, I've never had scotch before, but I really wanted to order a double scotch on the rocks <laughs> to see what the lady said after that because she certainly didn't help things. Yeah. Absolutely. Very that's very good. Section 3, they who upon pretense of Christian liberty do practice any sin or cherish any lust do thereby destroy the end of Christian liberty, which is that being delivered out of the hands of our enemies, we might serve the Lord without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Christian liberty is not a license of sin. I thought that was good to put with the way that starts off. The idea of Christian liberty is not that we are free to do or say or think or whatever we can persuade our weak conscience to accept. On the contrary, one purpose of Christian liberty is to be freed from the power of sin itself. Someone read Romans 6, 17 through 23 for us. 
Amen. Another purpose of Christian freedom is to be freed from those who would oppress us with their commands. Again, we are to love, we're to live under the Lordship of Christ. Well, we're going to move a little faster, I think. Finding freedom from sin by serving the Lord and His people is the vision that God presents to us in His Word. Right? So we have freedom. We, we still have free, free will, freedom to sin, but instead of sin, we focus on serving the Lord and His people. The more we're in the Word, the more we will, we will go that direction and we'll be away from the freedom for sin, away or away of the free will of wanting to sin. Um, we will be looking at, you know, what can we do for God's kingdom? How do we further it? How do we make disciples of all nations? Pray that we'll be able to discern the difference between liberty and license. That's a big one, isn't it? Liberty is, liberty is just like the right above that, freedom from sin. Liberty is free from sin, right? A license is free to sin. The big difference is a huge difference. Free from sin means that Christ has paid the price for us. Like we, that he loves us, he, cared, he gave his life for us to give us Christian liberty, to give us, we know that we're going to sin. Like when I was looking at this, to go back to, um, you know, we are still sinners. I mean, right now, we are, we're free to do, we're free to will what is good, we're free to will what is evil, and we're, when we go to heaven, we'll be free to do good alone and only alone. Right now, we're free to will what is good or, or evil. So we're always dealing with, right now, between heaven and earth, we're dealing with good and bad. We're dealing with, you know, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We want to do the right things. We just don't always do the right things because we always have the inclination to sin. But because of what Christ did for us and our faith in him, we're free from that bondage of sin, right? It makes us hate our sin worse. makes us feel terrible about our sin. makes us have a contrite heart. When we come today to our confession, we're coming, you know, that is a very serious moment in our worship. We're coming to ask God to, we're confessing to him and asking him for our forgiveness, for his forgiveness of us. And the other side, license is, you look at it as if we'll eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we'll die, but Jesus loves us, and we can do whatever we want to because he has full of, he's full of grace and mercy, and we can just do what we want to do, and that is straight from the pits of hell. I mean, that's not anywhere in the Bible where we talk about you have a license of sin because of how great God or how great Jesus is. Anybody want to add anything to that? Good. <laughs> Use our freedom in a certain way, running from what enslaves us and freely towards serving our master whose yoke is easy and burden is light. We'll hear that every week before we come to the communion table, right? Yoke is easy and burden is light. We're free to help those around us, guided by God and blessed by his spirit. Right. Section 4, and because the powers which God hath ordained and the liberty which Christ hath purchased are not intended by God to destroy 
but mutually to uphold and preserve one another, they who, upon pretense of Christian liberty, shall oppose any lawful power or the lawful exercise of it, whether it be civil or ecclesiastical, resist the ordinance of God. And for their publishing of such opinions or maintaining of such practices of Christianity, whether concerning faith, worship, or conversation, or to the power of godliness, or such erroneous opinions or practices as either in their own nature or in the manner of publishing or maintaining them, are destructive to the external peace and order which Christ hath established in the church, they may lawfully be called to account and proceeded against by the censures of the church. The section four, this is law and liberty and no freedom for lawlessness and then church censures and civil magistrates. Law and liberty. Jesus has purchased for us every liberty we have as Christians and therefore claims lordship over our conscience. There is no tension between the powers that God ordains in society and the freedom we find in Christ. Good government and Christian liberty are mutually complementary. And I know we're probably out there going, good government, do we even have good government? You know, do we have good authorities? Um, we do. I mean, they're ordained and have the complete authority from God. Whether you whether you un, whether you believe in who's in government, who's president, who's the senator, who's the governor, they are under God's authority. They are in place because God's got them there. And, and we when we denounce or act like we're totally against them and talk bad about them and ill will and don't pray for them, then we're going against God's authority. And as we say, he is not a God in which we should trifle. Romans, I'm going to read this real quick for us. Romans 13, 1 through 8. I've got a few minutes. This is very convicting for me because I'll tell you after read it. Submission to authorities. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God extending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And lastly, owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. It has taken me, uh, we've always paid taxes and always done that, but like getting stopped for a speeding ticket would drive me absolutely bonkers. I would not want to, I mean, as soon as the person got out and was coming up to me, I'd just get mad. Of course, I'm going over the speed limit. Right? God put those laws there, the speed laws, for people not, you know, not to drive too fast, for your safety, for your good. And golly, I mean, I acted like a knucklehead about it. I mean, you know, 
And the better I try to try to be, the worse it seems like. Because right at the wrong time is when I would get stopped. But I was speeding. Yeah. And that's just one thing. But I mean, like, even when uh, when Blake is a judge, no matter if what his verdict, you know, his, he's going to do his, his verdict based upon the facts and based upon what is the right thing to do. He knows whether it's right, whether you agree with it or not. Honor to whom honor is owed, right? Respect to whom respect is owed. So no freedom for lawlessness. We have no freedom for lawlessness and no freedom to ignore God's word for God's government. We will be held accountable for what we say or do. Avoiding unnecessary contact with troublemakers. These last four, we, I really want to make sure we read those. Second John. Ten, ten through eleven. Or yeah, second John ten through eleven. It's only one chapter. They're saying he's a false teacher, right? Keep him away. Dealing with a problem by calling it is what it is. First Timothy six, three through five. So Paul is telling Timothy that to protect the church, right? Yeah. The sharp rebuke, Timothy, uh, Titus 3.10. And this uh, first uh, handing over to Satan, 1 Timothy 1, 19 through 20 says, 1 Timothy 1, 19, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And Tyler and I were talking about that earlier, and it's, it's, when I read that, and I'm handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Tyler was talking about some excommunication. But excommunication is the goal. The goal is always restoration, right? It's not. It's like sending your child to the back, to the back room and not to get supper or not to get, um, not to, get to watch what you want to watch because they need to be restored, right, what they've done wrong doesn't mean you don't love them and care for them. In fact, you're doing it because you do love them. And that's what Paul is saying there. The church censures and civil magistrates. If we ignore Christian doctrine, we shall be called into account through the regular means that God has appointed. Someone read Matthew 18, 15 through 17.
God disciplined us because he loves us. Um, church discipline is aimed at shepherding souls toward repentance. The church is required to turn over all of those who break the laws of the state. Right. We're commanded to pray for our government leaders. We do that in every pastoral prayer, right? We're commanded to do that. Um I think that's. Does anybody have any questions about the bottom? When I looked, I looked in our book of church church order about discipline. Is discipline is in proper usage is for the glory of God, the purity of His church, and keeping and reclaiming disobedient sinners. Discipline is for the purpose of godliness. It's an exercise in mercy, not in wrath. And I promise you the elders of this church don't look forward to having to do that or even that, but we are ordained and called as elders and that is part of the job. Um, and we do it prayerfully and we do it for, the, for our love for this church and for Christ. Anybody have anything? I know it's right at the time of Skipson. Please take these, uh, these with you and read these incredible scriptures. Any questions?